Let's pray. Speak to us now, Lord, and send your spirit that he might minister to our hearts as we need it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a sermon about how things go with you when the Lord is with you. As we rejoin Joseph, who'd been sold into slavery in Egypt by his brothers, we learn that the Lord was with Joseph. This sounds extremely promising. We read it in verse 2, that the Lord was with Joseph. And it's repeated in verse 3, in verse 21, and verse 23. However, listening to that story, you might be tempted to say, and a fat lot of good it did him that the Lord was with him. Because he starts this chapter as a slave. And that's kind of bad enough. But by the end of the chapter, he's slipped into the even perhaps worse position of being a prisoner. And so, what is so great about having the Lord with you? It's a fair question. Today, I want to think about what do we learn about how things go when the Lord is with you. And I have four things, I think, that we see in the scriptures here today. The first thing is that when the Lord is with you, you are a gift to others. There is this kind of popular perception that those who are near to God, they're a bit of a pain. We have these words for them, you know, holy rollers and do-gooders and zealots and Bible bashers. And there's this idea that the closer you are to God, the more awkward you are to have around. But that popular perception may be wide of the mark. For when the Lord is with you, he gives you gifts that make you a gift to others, actually. And this is true for Joseph. Now, Joseph was taken down to Egypt, we read, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. Literally, he, he became a man of causing to prosper. He became a rainmaker, if you like. You know that term to describe someone who's a rainmaker, that wherever they tread, there the rain falls and the flowers and the crops spring up and everybody prospers. Joseph is like that. This is the gift that he brings. Where he goes, the rain comes, things go well. Plants grow. They're sold for a good price and everyone does well. Potiphar took note of this. In verse 3 we read that his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favour in his sight and attended him. He made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Uh, Potiphar benefited definitely from having this fellow Joseph nearby. Verse 5, from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had, house and field. Joseph was really the best thing to happen to Potiphar at this point in his life. When the Lord is with you, he makes you a gift to others. Not necessarily a gift like Joseph was, you know, one who brings prosperity, one who knows how to do things well and succeed in them. There are other gifts that the Lord gives to his people to share with others. We might think, we might think of Jesus, who, um, who did not bring riches. He wasn't a kind of rainmaker in the sense that everyone went away, you know, with nicer clothes and fuller pockets. But he did bring even better gifts. 
He brought profound authoritative teaching. He brought healings and deliverance from spirits. He brought the forgiveness of sins in the kingdom of God. The more the Lord is with you, the better it is for everyone around you. If the Lord is with you, your gift might be different again. You might not be, you know, healing and you know, bringing the kingdom of God in your very person as Jesus did. In fact, let me assure you, that won't be you. However, it may be that people draw hope and encouragement from you or that people find your wisdom and your counsel a treasure. That people are challenged to live differently because of you, because of the way you live or that people come together in peace under your influence, or that people find the practical help they really need when you appear. All of these things may be ways in which because the Lord is with you, because you know him and serve him, you are a gift to others. For when the Lord is with you, you are a gift to others one way or another. You're not someone who is fundamentally unappealing, unhelpful. So pray that the Lord be with you. That's the first thing. When the Lord is with you, you're a gift to others. Here's the second. When the Lord is with you, you are tempted and tested. Look at the end of verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome and good-looking, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. Now if anyone could have gotten away with this in this household, Joseph could have. He is esteemed and trusted by his master, he has power over everyone else in the house. He can remove them or silence them. And he has the mistress of the house ready to make a mutually agreeable arrangement. And no one needs to tell the master. We aren't told of any struggle that Joseph had to come to the answer he gave where he said, no thanks. But there may well have been a struggle for him, especially as the mistress kind of kept on pressing the proposal. Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, she would not consent to lie beside her or to be with her. And it's Joseph's handling of this situation that is the great testimony to his faith and moral integrity. Perhaps the Joseph we've met already, the Joseph who wore the coat with long sleeves and told on his brothers and shared his self-glorifying dreams, perhaps that Joseph was immature. Perhaps he was naive and a bit hard to take, actually. But here, Joseph seems to have found wisdom and integrity. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, with me here, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my hand. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? There are others who enjoy great freedom and plenty, and yet attempted to sin. Adam and Eve enjoyed great freedom and plenty in the garden as Joseph enjoyed a privileged position in Potiphar's house. But Adam and Eve succumbed to the temptation to take the forbidden fruit, to sin against God, where Joseph was able to refrain from taking the forbidden fruit. Joseph was able to look at what he had and be content with the plenty and the power that he had been entrusted with. When the Lord is with you, you are tested and tempted. Again, when we think of Jesus, this is also true of him. He didn't face Potiphar's wife. He faced Satan alone 
and in the wilderness. And yet he was able to say no. In resisting temptation, let's, let's just have a look at what Joseph did. Joseph reminded himself of all that he had been given. As he spoke to Potiphar's wife, he was speaking also to himself. My master has put everything he has in my hand. Nor has he kept back anything from me. Except his wife. There's something to lose there and something to be thankful for and something to to protect and to, to live up to. In resisting temptation, Joseph also reminds himself and his mistress that to lie with her would betray not only his master but God. How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? I don't know if that helps us to face our own temptations, to reflect on what we have been given and the responsibility we have, what we have to lose and who we sin against. We pray every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. So there's the second thing. When the Lord is with you, you will face trial and temptation. Here's the third thing. When the Lord is with you, you may suffer on account of your faithfulness to God. Potiphar's wife's patience ran out. Attempted seduction turned to kind of demand, even coercion. One day, verse 11, however, when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and while no one else was in the house, she caught hold of his garment, saying, lie with me. When this failed, thwarted, she acted to punish Joseph. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called out to the members of her household and said to them, See, my husband has brought among us a Hebrew to insult us. Repeating her accusation to her husband, showing Joseph's garment to him, she succeeds in making him pay for his refusal. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he remained there in prison. Now, the Lord is with Joseph, we're explicitly told, and yet this happens to him. As if being sold into slavery by your brothers isn't bad enough, when you manage to scrape together something of a life, even that's torn apart, and you land up in an even worse place, the prison, and you land there exactly because... You seek to live with integrity and uprightness. It doesn't seem very attractive or very right, and it's not. But, again, think of Jesus. Jesus was the spirit-filled, beloved son of his heavenly father. He taught, he healed, he proclaimed forgiveness, he raised the dead. People still found a reason to hate him and to seek to punish him. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Jerusalem priests, and they, they succeeded. This world is not hospitable to those who are loyal to God above all. In this world, said Jesus, you'll face persecution. But take courage, he said, I've conquered the world. How did Jesus conquer the world? Well, in an unexpected way. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, For you know the generous acts of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. So that by his poverty you might become rich. Jesus conquered the world exactly by leaving the good things he had. Taking upon himself our poverty. 
so that we could share in the good things he had. What is that poverty? It's the poverty of being under God's condemnation as a sinner. Jesus was not that, and yet that's where he went. And what that looked like was him going to the cross, falling into the hands of his enemies, going to the very lowest place there is on the earth, to be reviled, to be dying, to be cast out. In this world, said Jesus, you will face persecution. But take courage, I have conquered the world. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. But like Jesus in the world, we may be plotted against, brought down, exactly because we are living to honour God. Peter writes, if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. Now, may you not face the same kind of catastrophes as Joseph did, sold into slavery in a far land, cast into prison. But may we all be ready to handle injustice, injustice that might come to us despite our faithfulness or even because of our faithfulness. May you and I be ready to handle that with hope. Take courage, says Jesus, I've conquered the world. The last thing then, when the Lord is with you, you continue to be a gift to others in all circumstances. Potiphar's wife did her worst, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. He gave him favour in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in the prison, and whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The chief jailer paid no heed to anything that was in Joseph's care, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. So Joseph's fall, this fall from being the overseer of Potiphar's house to being a prisoner, this was not a fall out of the love of God. That's not what was going on. Nor was it outside the purpose and plan of God, as we shall see. And nor did Joseph's gift of getting things to work and to succeed and pay off disappear. That was still active and it still was a gift to others that was recognised and appreciated by all. If the Lord is with you, others can do their worst and they can succeed and yet you will still be a gift to others and serving the purposes of God. And those purposes will tell in the end. So, when the Lord is with you, you're a gift to others, somehow or other. You'll be tempted and tested. Seek forgiveness whenever you fail. God forgives. You may suffer on account of your faithfulness to God, and despite that, you will continue to be a gift to others in all circumstances. In this we follow in the footsteps of our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. I have a postscript to this sermon about sex, just to wake you up at the end. Two comments. Firstly, the hidden rivers of sexual desire, they flow and they always threaten to burst their banks. Traditional societies establish all kinds of boundaries and expectations to prevent sexual chaos and keep sexual behaviour constructive and not destructive. 
And even so, even with these kind of boundaries in place, as this story and many others in the Bible show, that sexual desire breaks bounds. It's a turbulent river. Here, a powerful woman punished her slave because he thwarted her desire. The second comment is that our society is experimenting with a radical relaxation of those boundaries. Instead of strongly marking the difference between male and female, there are male and female worlds and spaces and the overlap of those spaces is structured and everybody understands the rules and how it's supposed to work. We're going for a very blended world. Co-ed university colleges, mixed workforces, where everyone's meant to participate on an equal footing in a very gender-blind way. And perhaps even more importantly and fundamentally, instead of clear and agreed standards of honourable sexual behaviour to which we're all held, we have this world of freedom and choice and negotiation and, in the end, well, consent. And with that, the hope that people will be sufficiently respectful and sufficiently empowered to make this work better than the old way. To maybe make it work best of all. I don't know how you think that's going. I'm not hopeful that we are going to reach some kind of utopia where these problems go away. I think there may be things that are better, but there will also definitely be things that are worse in this radical relaxation of boundaries. Let me just end with the Apostle Paul's words to the churches on this, from 1 Thessalonians 4. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication, translated, that is, no sex outside of marriage, that each one of you know how to control your own body in holiness and honour, that no one wrong or exploit a brother or sister in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. So, I don't know how you found that story of sexual desire breaking bounds, but if you have wronged another, or if you have been wronged in this way, and you need to deal with that, can I encourage you to find a way to do that? It may mean trusting someone, with that part of you. It will certainly mean bringing it before God. For those who are the wronged, God heals, God cleanses, God makes new. And for those who are the wrongdoers, God judges and God forgives. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you are willing to be with us, human sinners. You were with Joseph. Jesus came to live among us and you and he are with us by his spirit. And so, Lord, we pray that we would, as Joseph was, be a blessing and a gift to those around us and they would They would have reason to value and to be thankful for us. We pray that when we are tempted and tested, that we might be able to resist temptation and escape without sin. 
we pray that we may be willing and ready to suffer on account of our faithfulness to God. And Lord, we do pray that you would help us to be a blessing to others, even when things go badly and wrong for us. Father, in this matter of uh, sexual desire, we do pray for those of us who may have been wronged. We pray that you would show them the way to healing and cleansing and renewal. And for those who know they have done wrong, we pray that you would show them the way to escape judgment and to find forgiveness and transformation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.